You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. About the word trajectory, trajectory. You know, trajectory is a, it's a funny thing. You guys probably were, uh, I'll understand what that means, that you're starting from A, you're going from here and to there. But along the way, from here to there, sometimes it gets off a little bit. And sometimes we we drift. That's sometimes as a church, sometimes as an organization, sometimes as a country, sometimes as a planet, sometimes as an individual. I mean, there's I think human beings drift. I think Christians drift. And I think these are important conversations to have. Uh, And it could be about a lot of things. Next week, we're going to talk about prayer. That may be a recalibrating for you. You may like, oh, man, I forgot how important that is. Maybe it's about giving. Maybe it's about forgiving. Maybe it's about serving. You could pick any topic. And one of those is really going to hit home with you because every single person, we, we, we wish we had those, those things that our cars now have that beep, you know, when we're getting ready to cross the line or when we've crossed the line, like, oh, thank you. And so the Bible is one big beep. How about that? There's a T-shirt for you. It helps us when we, uh, we're crossing that line. Dee, 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 dee. Okay, thank you. All right. So uh, we begin by uh, a now a somewhat famous book, Mission Drift by Peter Greer. Uh, I've met Peter Greer, spent some time with him, uh, and because they do such an amazing work, and we've talked about discipleship, and so it's really interesting where God's leading there. He wrote this book that is now uh, a, a very um, important message for us, and he says this, without careful attention, let me just pause there, And not just skim over those words. Without careful attention, it requires careful attention, faith-based organizations will inevitably drift from their founding mission. It's that simple. It will happen. No organization is immune from mission drift. I think this is partly due to uh, pressures from the outside and pressures from the inside. I've said it before, so you probably say a lot more that, you know, we live in a very migratory culture because people are, they work in, you know, long distances. They, 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 you know, families are used to be clumped together and work together. And now we live in a place where we can work online. We can, you know, work remotely. And, and, uh, uh, and so, the, you know, families are, are all over the, the, the place. And so we don't have that kind of, that togetherness that we did, let's say 50 years ago, 70 five years ago. And the same is true for the church. The, the, I believe because of uh, several um, layers, we've now become quite migratory. People coming, moving here, they uh, going there, et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, I'm asked more frequently, do you guys believe that Jesus is the only Savior? Do you believe in the Bible? Do you believe, you know, because in our culture, uh, things are getting watered down so much. People just want to make sure, hey, is this solid? Are we, are, is the Bible our anchor? Is the Bible our compass? So I think because of that influx, there's, it, 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 it requires that careful attention. And so today we're going to talk about that and we're going to use the book of Nehemiah to, to kind of guide us today. So I'm going to say a little bit about Nehemiah here and just give the history of it, but let's just jump right in. Because Nehemiah, uh, the context just a little bit, and we'll go, we'll go further deep uh, a little bit later. But the context is that Nehemiah 
he was uh, in exile. So if you know, if you don't know much about the Bible, uh, God had focused on the nation of Israel for centuries, and he wanted to show the world how to have a relationship, even though those relationships are difficult, even though the relationships are rugged. You know, God could have just kind of moved from one relationship to the next, but he stuck in with the nation of Israel because he was trying to show his mercy. Mercy only exists in a long-term relationship. Mercy only, patience only exists in long term. If it's short term, if we just have sprint like relationships, there is no mercy required. There is there is no uh, uh, patience required. It's only when you, you know, you get into a relationship. That's why people are shocked when they get into marriage. Right. They think everything's going wonderfully when they're dating. And then those, those little things on each side begin to, to, you know, they show up a little bit more. And then you begin to uh, you begin to realize, man, this thing is going to require a bit of patience here. It's going to require a bit of mercy, you know, in, in, a, in a long-term relationship. But that's exactly what God has designed. This is the relationship that he had with uh, the nation of Israel. And then at one point, sometimes there are times where, like, hey, I got to draw a boundary. I got to draw a line. And that's exactly what God did with the nation of Israel. And he, he brought troops in from Assyria. He dropped, brought troops in from Babylon. And he took them, the, the Israelites, he took them from their hometown, their nation, and moved them out to Babylon, Assyria, different places for kind of like, as we would say with our kids, a timeout. And in that moment, this is where we find Nehemiah. Nehemiah is now a cupbearer. He is working at a, a position in the government. It was not, uh, it was not a, it was not a, he was not in prison. Uh, he was, I'm sure, missing his hometown. And yet he had somewhat of a comfortable life. He was close to the king. And then someone brought him news that the walls of Jerusalem, which was the protective measure of the city, were broken down. This is where we pick up the, the, the uh, story. And then he's speaking, speaking, just so you know, in first person. So you'll see a lot of eyes. Nehemiah's talking about himself. So these messengers that brought me news that the walls were uh, you know, broken down and burned down, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. And its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned, I fasted, I prayed before the God of heaven. Now this, is, this tells you about the character of Nehemiah. Because he could have said, wow, glad I'm not there. I'm glad I got a safe job. I'm glad I'm secure. Boy, I'm glad I'm not living in a city where the wall is broken down and burned down. Wow, must be bad for those guys. Glad that's not me. That's not his heart. Even though he wasn't there, he, he understood that this was God's assignment. Okay? So as an organization, I'm going to talk about the organization first, the local church of, of, of Jesus. And then I'm going to talk about us individually. Okay? So any organization, in my opinion, it must begin with angst. It must begin with brokenness. It must begin with an assignment of God. We are called to fix something, to build, rebuild a wall. When you think about the sending of Jesus, 
at one point when the father looked at Jesus and said, now is the time. Jesus didn't just come down to earth to teach a bunch of parables. He didn't just come down to give us more information about heaven or hell. He didn't come down just to heal people and in their temporary life make them feel better that they could see now and they couldn't see before. They could hear now. They couldn't hear before. They could walk now. Couldn't hear. All those things were wonderful. But Jesus came on an assignment as the Savior of the world to save the world, to bypass Adam's uh, uh, demise and Adam's inheritance. So born of a virgin, he came to be the perfect lamb of God on assignment, on mission to die for the sins of the world. That was his primary mission. What if he wouldn't have done it? What if he wouldn't have come? But he had to come, listen, not because God just loved us so much, but God was broken for us so much. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, right? He so loved it. He loved this so much. He was like, man, I'm broken for this. And this church, 360, in case you're new to the, you know, coming in maybe in, in, a, in a later inning in the ball game, this church was built on brokenness. Our brokenness was we would look at the church culture and we would say, man, there is a lack of replication at a Paul Timothy level, there is a, la a lack of disciple making in our church culture. And instead of criticizing the church culture, we decided to say, let's start and jump in and make a difference in the church culture. That was the that was our first le level of brokenness. When I came to Christ, uh, many of you know my story. I came to Christ. The pastor was from India. And he began to pour into me, and I didn't know anything about anything about the church culture, the evangelical culture. So I thought that this was the norm, and it was so impactful to be discipled at a one-to-one -one level for a year and a half. My joke when I'm training is like, hey, I thought you guys were like AA. You know, you sign up and you get a sponsor. I thought, man, that is a great, great uh, that's a great plan because I believe that AA in that regard has done much better than the church culture. They take people that have come in. They know they're broken. They are now in a moment of confession and now I want to grow. And they put someone right beside them like Moses did with Joshua. And then Paul did with Timothy and David did with Jonathan and Jesus did with John. And the pattern is so evident in the scripture that I was shocked when I went to seminary, for more than one reasons, I was shocked when I didn't see that. When I served in a 5,000-member church for a dozen years, no mention of this. And yet we began to see the brokenness in the church culture, and we kept doing it over and over and over and over. I'm like, man, let's start. When we start at 360, we plant at 360, I was approached by a megachurch and, and, and the possibility of working there. And I got to tell you, man, it was tempting. It was as tempting as Nehemiah staying in a king's palace and saying, well, that's over there. But I believe that when God starts a movement, he says, it is not just about being here. It's not about your spiritual life. It's about being together and doing something for somebody else and being broken enough that you're willing to sacrifice and surrender. That was our first thing. How do we build the walls back up of disciple making and replication in the church culture? The second thing was, hey, how do we think differently about our funds? 
How do we think differently about debt? Because I had served in several churches where the debt was so high that even though we would say out loud around the conference table and staff meetings, this is not driving us, it does drive you. If you have personal debt, many people do, it drives you. It is part of your fabric. It's part of your recipe. It is part of, you know, when, and, and, you know, it's just, you have a house, you got a house payment. You can say, well, I'll just don't think I'll pay it this month. No, you've got to pay it this month, right? And so that we were like, how do we say, God, we want you to use your funds as you want to use them and not put tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars into interest that is not making a difference. So we said, man, let's let God use our funds, not just for ourselves, but around the world. That's how we, that's how we begin this church. So how do we begin to, to be broken have for the broken walls? How do we mend the broken walls of disciple making? And how do we take our hands off the funds so that we're not just doing it all for ourselves? This was the brokenness on which we began this church. Our, then our thought in this church was how do we equip others than to replicate this from our corner to the corners of the world. So today, when you came in, you got a brochure. You got a, a, a booklet, a small booklet here that says fall launch. I was a little disappointed. I said fall launch. I'm like, yeah, heck yeah, man. Just kidding. Dan's like, I'll kill you after the service. That's pretty awesome. That is not even a funny joke. So if you're at home, by the way, we have this this uh, this booklet that we gave everyone walking in the door. You know why we do this? So this this really kind of lays out for you our our middle circle. So if we can bring up perhaps these three circles, just so you know, these three circles are really our relational environment. So this you're in the big circle. This these are connect groups. They meet every other week in home. Some of them meet here. That's the mid-sized circle. In other words, that you can come down and you begin to hear each other. Here we can get to see each other. And then of course we have the smaller circle. Our our uh, dream, our hope, the vision of this church is how do we take this re- these relational environments and get get have groups where people connect and then get to that deeper one-to-one level, that table for two level, and take that culture and test it first. We test run it first. And then how do we then see the, the results of that and then replicate it around the world? So our job, I believe, as leaders in Ephesians chapter 4 is to equip people how to do this rather than just stand here on Sunday morning and say, go do it. Everybody nods their heads and like, OK, I'll do it. Our job, I believe, is to put equipment in people's hands. This is equipment. So if you look at this, it's so well done. Uh, and you can to, to just uh, look at the steps of how do I really get in a group? And then there's groups that are uh, here and they're color coordinated. And this chart is just super, super, super well done. So we don't want there to be any mystery of how to to get in a group. I'll tell you why it's in a group. I'm in a group. I'm in the group with you. I'm in the group with you and you and you and other guys sitting around this room. I love our group. And I tell you, I, you know, there's sometimes I have to you know, miss them traveling or something like oh, missing the, the group. I've had some back issues. They're out there playing pickleball. And, you know, I just if I even scratching my head hurts, you know, so I'm built, you know, but I love our group. I don't lead our group. I need my group. I need that that sense of closer community where when someone says, how's your week? I'm like, oh, to be honest with you, not that great. 
Because I'm not, you asked me here on Sunday morning, how's your week? Fantastic. That's, that's the answer you're going to get. But that deeper community where we can be, we can begin to open up. And then from those groups, this is the ultimate uh, arrangement. From those groups, we can then begin to get that, that Paul, Timothy, Jesus, John relationship. And then from the group, born that relationship. Let me show you a, a couple of pictures here. Um, this is my good friend, Chris Hartman on the, on the right, and uh, just starting his uh, journey in disciple making with Abi uh, Reyes on the left. And they met in a connect group. And their connect group, Paul Rademacher here is uh, the leader of that group. And, and uh, they met in a connect group. From that connect group, then they began to build a relationship and they grew it out and now are walking at a table for two. I've been in the ministry now for 40 years. So this is not a promo or not an advertisement. It's a shepherd speaking to your heart. Does it always work perfectly? Of course not. We're human beings. But I will say to you that if you work hard at it and you dig down deep in a table for two disciple making relationship, I have seen in the last 10 years, this is when we started about 10 years ago, unparalleled relational depth, which leads to unparalleled life change. This is why God has the church so that our lives can look more and more like Jesus. No, no harm, no foul. I'm not trying to point fingers or anything like that. But I'm, I will tell you as a Christ follower, let me take my shepherd hat on and put my Christ follower uh, hat on and just say as a Christ follower, being in church on Sunday is not enough. And I'll tell you why. Because there's no way that I am required of any patience, any bearing with one another, any forgiving of one another. There, there's nothing of that that's required. It's all like, hey, how you doing? See you next week, right? Which is awesome. We're gathered here. We're gathered to worship. We're gathered here to, to hear the word of God proclaim. We're gathered to all of that. But the assignment that God has given to you as an individual Christ follower cannot be fulfilled if we just stay in the crowd. And I love you. So, and we're glad you're here. But it is my job to, to nudge you, maybe sometimes kick you, to say, hey, go deeper so that you become more and more and more like Christ. This is what we're seeing on this corner. God has allowed us to share this around the world and to take the equipment, the tools, into more than 100 countries. Last week, and we we hit kind of a new level. Many of you, if you've been here three or four years, pre-COVID, I traveled a lot. And the reason I was traveling was to try to put footprints on six continents and meet trainers to take this to a church culture around the world, not just in the U.S., to a church culture and around the world that so desperately needs disciple making at a one-to-one -one level. So... That required a lot of time and effort and, and uh, you know, prayer and a lot of things to, to, to go to those places, the Middle East, Africa, uh, South America, uh, Central America, uh, the Caribbean islands, uh, the yeah, Eastern Europe, Ukraine, many, many places. And every time we would go, we would, God, show us the person that we're going to put that baton in the hand of.
we probably have 200 trainers right now around the world that are, that are taking our culture and moving it into the globe. We probably have 25 directors. Uh, and so uh, last, so since December, I have been writing a trainer's manual because we value replication here. Our staff is beginning to, uh, to enter into uh, leadership development. In other words, not just teaching people how to live for Jesus, but how to lead like Jesus. We did this a number of years ago, but I believe that we have the team to really carry it forward now. So I wanted as a leader to always start first and say, how do I train myself and reproduce myself so the thing is not tethered to me? So last uh, Friday, I did a Zoom training. There were 25 uh, trainers, new trainers gathered in Nairobi, and uh, they represented 10 countries. Here they are. They all have their small circle shirts on uh, and uh, they're training. Uh, That represents uh, 10 countries, Nigeria, Uh, Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, uh, Eritrea, Ethiopia. We zoomed in also from Switzerland and Ukraine. Uh, We zoomed in uh, from uh, different other places, South Africa. Uh, Ten countries learning how to take the culture that started on this corner. Uh, We didn't start it. I mean, you know, Jesus started it, but you know what I mean? (laughs) We're like, hey, how do we take this equipment? And, and, And this is a result of what you're doing here in, on this corner. It's remarkable of what's happening. All right. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, hey, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, or you may be thinking, um, when does the fall lunch start? Is that today? Or, you know, I'm not quite sure. I never know what people are thinking. It may be like, wow, that, that seems like super big. See, I'm over here in my job as a cupbearer. But you're talking about something pretty massive. So how do I, now let's switch gears. So I'm trying to catch people up on what in the heck is 360 and what it's all about and why we started. But let me talk to you individually because you matter. Some people don't think they matter, but you matter. Because everywhere I train in the world, I make this statement, two, two statements. God uses his people to move predicaments to solutions, number one. And number two, you will never, ever, ever have a movement without everyday people. This is not a leadership-driven thing. This is not just, oh, the leaders do it, and we don't. So when Nehemiah, he, it, it bothered him so much that he traveled. When, when we look at this story, he traveled to Jerusalem. And when you read these things in the Scripture, it seems so easy. It was 900 miles and in that day, over the rough terrain, etc., they could travel about 10 miles, 10 miles a day. That means it took 90 straight days of rugged travel, three months of travel to leave his comfortable job and go to a city that was getting burnt down. I would say he was bothered. So if you are a Christ follower... My first assignment to you, that if you're not bothered for the lostness of the world, if you're not bothered for the the church culture, who is, we're becoming more attractional without seeing deeper life growth. If that doesn't bother you, I invite you to join me on my knees and praying to God and say, God, 
I'm giving you permission to bother me. Otherwise, listen carefully. Otherwise, we're just living this kind of narcissistic Christian life that I just wanted to make sure I'm right with God. And that's not why he calls anybody. God calls us from the world back to the world so that we can make an impact for Christ in the world. Does that make sense? It's a big deal. Don't, because listen, if it's only for you, it's going to get really boring. It really is going to get boring. I mean, you know, we don't do buffets anymore post-COVID, Harley, but you know, it's like going to a buffet. After a while, you get tired of chewing. <laughs> you get tired of eating, right? I eat a lot of salads, but I'm like, man, by the time I get to the end of a salad, I'm tired of chewing. I could have had a hot dog or, you know, something. But what is it that would draw you closer? Watch this. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. He brings a few guys with him in the middle of the night, and he says this. He said to these guys, do you see the trouble we're in? That's what I'm trying to do for you right now. We are in trouble in this culture, not only the culture of the world, but the culture of the church. We are in trouble. The walls are, are crumbling and God uses his people to move predicaments to solutions. He said to them, hey, you get it? Do you see the trouble that we're in? Our city lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come on, let's rebuild this together. The wall of Jerusalem, and then we'll no longer be in disgrace. See, their assignment as the nation of Israel was to be the light of the world, to show the power of the creator of the universe. And they were in disgrace. And then he said, let me tell you something else. God is moving. I told them about the gracious, the miracles of all the, the kings said, hey, go ahead and go. No problem. That was a miracle. I'm not going to give up my cup bear to go build some broken city of which we took you from. It was a miracle. God is moving. He said, I also told them about the gracious hand of, of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, yeah, kind of <laughs> let us start rebuilding. So they began the work, and I want to say together. They began to do it together. So he brings these guys in. He begins to convince them, hey, this is, this is worthy. Blackaby, Henry Blackaby made this comment. You find out where God is moving and you join him. What was it that, that caused these, these people to join? There was a brokenness of heart by what the, the conditions were. And secondly, they're like, wow, God is in this. God is in this. So I'm going to say three things for us this morning as an individual. How, do, how, do, how should I, if, if my interest meter is kind of low, how, how should I perceive this? And how should I? So with the theme of here to there and back again, I'm going to try to get you to think about nearsightedness and farsightedness. Think here and think there. And if we don't have that balance, then God asks God to say, can you move me back again? There's a word called accommodation. Accommodation, here's the, uh, here's the definition. Accommodation is the ability for the human eye to focus in 
and out of distances. There are some living creatures that only can see uh, so far, but then they can't see. There are some living creatures that can't see very close up. Uh, they call us 60-year-olds and above. That's where they call us. <laughs> so what do we do? I've got trifocals, right? They call them progressives because that makes you feel cooler than you know trifocals, right? I wear trifocals. I've worn, I've worn glasses since the fourth grade. I was for years and years, you know, uh, nearsighted. That means I can see in near, but I couldn't see far. And uh, now it's all over the place, right? So when you watch, when I, you know, some of you know I play piano, so I play piano like this now. I'm like, where is the spot? Oh, there it is. Yeah, I can see the, the, the notes now. <laughs> Sometimes God says, hey, put these glasses on because you're too nearsighted or you're too farsighted. You can only you're not seeing both. OK, so in our remaining time, I want to try to get your mind into a spiritual accommodation, because I do believe that it is important for a healthy Christian to be able to see here and also see there. OK, are you with me? So here's the thing. When we look at what happened with the temple. The first thing is that, uh, let me just explain the book of Nehemiah. It's fascinating. So the book of Nehemiah in the Jewish scripture is one book. And for years it was one book and what we would call the Bible, uh, 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 great uh, Josephus, trying the name I'm starting to think of. He was the, you know, a great historian. He was not a Christian, but he was a great historian. And he referred to the book of Ezra and Nehemiah as one book, because that's the way it was at, at a certain time. Now, you may know, I don't even know who Ezra is and who Nehemiah is, but let me tell you, after the exile, there were three movements, kind of three revivals, so to speak. Zerubbabel was the first guy that went back from exile and said, man, we got to build the temple. Okay, we got to build the temple. The temple was we we can't even know. Hey, we we're in a, we're we're in a warehouse, but the, you know, the, and the building for us is uh, wonderful to worship in, etc. But this is not like they thought. The temple was it. The temple was sacred. Everything about the temple was sacred. That's where they governed from. That's where they prayed and worshipped from. It was such a centralized part. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. Everything, the temple for them was a treasure. Zerubbabel came after the, because they had burned down the temple, burned down the walls. He had come and he, and he uh, had rebuilt the temple. Okay. Then Ezra came after that, and he rebuilt the, the, their moral fiber. They had lost their, their morality. And so he went back and said, we need a revival. Okay? And then Nehemiah, as we've seen, had come back and built the walls. All right? All three were important. Some people, okay, let me get to my point. Some people, when they look at the temple, they say, oh, that's more important than the walls. But without the walls... You have no temple. Otherwise, why would have Nehemiah, why would he have gone back? He was like, well, the temple's cool. The temple is intact. But it was unprotected. And he said, well, got to do the outside to protect the inside. Zerubbabel said, hey, I've got to do the inside. We've got we to gotta rebuild the temple and, and so, uh, and so that you know, we can fund the wall. That sounded like a political statement. That's weird. Just kidding. 
boy, do I want to go somewhere, but I'm going to just keep it good. Keep it good, Steve. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, man, I'm so tempted right now. <laughs> All right. So without the temple, you don't have the funds to build the wall. And without the wall, you don't have the protection to keep the temple. You see, from here, temple to there. What do I mean by that? What is the picture? I believe as a Christian, you should have your mind and your heart locally, and you should have your mind and heart globally. That doesn't mean you're going on every mission trip that, that exists, but your heart is for the world because the God is in the world. If we're like, I have no concern over anybody in any other country, I believe that there's a missing component in your heart. Every Monday, if you've signed up for it, we send out, here's a persecuted country we're praying for. Every week of 2022, we're praying for persecuted countries because it matters to God. We just got into a country in northern Africa. I won't give you the details, but there is such a low percentage of Christians and they are persecuted heavily. And God has allowed us to have an open door. But even if he didn't, we should be on our knees. Some people get so globally minded that they can't, they, they've lost sight of what's important locally. It is a mix. And, and here's where I want to say to you, and this is subtle. And, and so I believe wholeheartedly that for so many years, the United States of America has had the favor of God. I believe that we're running the risk, if we've not already passed this point, of losing the favor of God, but because of all the decisions that are being made and leaving God out, okay? But I believe that we've included God and we have blessed so many people around the world and hunger and, and, and hey, we've blown it too. We, we know that, right? No country is perfect. But we've helped so many countries around the world and God cares about that. And so I believe, and it's not just because our constitution is perfect and our politicians are perfect and we got a really cool White House. And I believe the same when a church is globally minded and locally minded, it's important because that's where the heart of God is. In other words, we are not here just to build a temple. We need to be broken for what's broken out in the world. And they're very tied in together. That's why we say, hey, we're going to take... X percentage, 12% of our funds and fund locally and fund globally so we don't get everything for ourselves. This past year, we have funded City Commit. We've given thousands of dollars to the Pregnancy Center this year. We've given thousands of dollars to organizations in, this, in, in the country, uh, to ABWE, to Small Church USA, and they're supporting smaller rural churches to be healthy. It's why we give to, to bring disciple-making around the world. In other words, God, don't ever let us fool ourselves that our church is so cool, our music is great, our preaching is decent, decent. we got a neat-looking building, and that's why we're growing. God forbid, God forgive us if we ever get to that point. I feel like I'm yelling a lot. Does it seem that way? <laughs> Good grief. <laughs> I have a passion that we cannot, we cannot just get our groove on and call that church. God calls us to be the church 
in the world and here locally as a hub, as a local church. Here's the second thing. I believe that there is a difference between the body of Christ and the local church. The body of Christ and the local church. Let me give you an analogy. If you know sports as well as I do. Yeah, here we go. So let's take the National Football League, okay? Home office, I think, is in New York City, right? They determine the kind of the rules and the regs of the entire playing field. I don't know how many teams are out there in the NFL, 32 or so? See, I know as much as you do, which is nothing, apparently. So you have, you have the NFL, and then you have these divisions. You have the NFC and the AFC, and then you got divisions and all that, right? They don't win games, In other words, the league is made up of local teams. It's the local teams that win the games. The National Football League has never won a game. Outside the pro ball, like who cares? The AFC, the NFC, they don't win games, right? I think they're I think they're like doing touch football in the pro ball, right? So so outside of that, what I'm saying is God has put us in the body of Christ at large. Okay, but he calls us and he operates through us in a local team. It's called the local church. This is where we practice together, where we sweat together, where we get angry together, when we drop a ball together, when we fumble together. You see, when we are in a local church, we then begin to get deeper and become more and more like Christ. Some Christians live only at a league level. If I were honest. I I worship on the beach. I come to church when it's convenient. I'm not going to get in a group. I'm not going to get in. I'm not going to do. I'm going to, you know, just it's it's kind of like, you know, Nehemiah, uh, BYOB, bring your own brick. (laughs) Thought I was going somewhere else, didn't you? But that never wins the game. You'll never become like Christ, just being honest with you. Sometimes when you get close and you get in a group, you get in one-to-one, it's tough. And God said, perfect. How do you forgive somebody unless you get close enough to smell their sweat? Unless you got a little blood on them, you know, from a scrimmage, from a, from a game. Because when you win the game, you've seen it. A team that wins the Super Bowl, man. They're throwing the trophy on on motorboats. They're celebrating because we're like, we did this. And God said, man, if you're going to be a healthy Christian, it's not only local and global, but it's also you're part of the body of Christ. And you got to get in the team. You got to get in the team, man. And that's where that's where I think God wants us. All right. Here's the final thing. Some of you may say. You know, I just fill in the blank. I just greet people at the door. I just serve people in the kids' ministry. So I wanted to show you chapter 3 in Nehemiah because it's so scintillating, uh, such a a scintillating part of the the Scripture. So could we go to the next slide and look? There it is. There's chapter 3. Okay, let me begin to read this. Um. There it is. 
So Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work on the sheep gate. The men... <laughs> okay, this is one of the... Yeah, you know, I'm just being honest with you. Not every, every chapter in the Bible is scintillating, right? I mean, the names, and this one begat this one, this one begat this one. I'm not saying it's unimportant. I'm just saying it's, it's not like interesting reading. Like, you know, you're probably like, I can't believe you're saying that. But, I, you know, so here's what I want. If you read this chapter, this is so-and-so is at the sheep gate doing their thing. So-and-so is at the south wall doing their thing. So-and-so is doing this over here, blah, blah, blah. And I'll promise you, you would shock me if anyone knew any of those names that built that wall. These are no names. These are people that, you know, these are not the Moseses and the Joshuas and the Jesuses. And the, these are people, but it took every one of those people to build that wall. What am I saying? I'm saying we must understand that when we look at this crazy chapter with all these names, what I'm saying is there is no important and small. There is no hierarchy. Oh, Steve gets to speak. He must be really, really important. That is not a true statement. That is not a true statement. The book of James, you read the first chapter, it's flip-flopped. Those that, man, are serving, those are the people. So maybe you would think, gosh, I'm not sure that I'm all important in this, in this operation. You are extremely important. So there's a story that comes from the 1600s. In 1661, there was a massive fire in London. It was burnt to the ground. There was this man, his name was Christopher Wren. He was an architect. St. Paul's Cathedral was one of those buildings, like many others, that was burnt to the ground. And so they began to rebuild it. Five years later, Christopher Wren is kind of walking the property as they're rebuilding. He noticed three guys that were laying stone, stone layers. And one guy was just like, didn't seem like he was really into it. Just kind of slumped over and, you know, putting the stones in, putting the stones in. The second guy looked like he was kind of moderately into it. He was, you know, sitting down doing but this one guy, man, he looked like he was going after it. He was, man, you could tell he was serious. Like, he must be in charge. Oh, no, they were all equal. So he goes up to the first guy that didn't seem like he was into it. I was like, hey, man, what are you doing? He goes, well, this is my job. This is what I do. I just kind of, you know, putting, like, you know, making so much an hour, and this is what I do. Hmm, interesting. He goes to the second guy. He goes, what, you know, you seem a little bit more energetic about this. What are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm building a wall. This is my wall. Other guys have other walls, but this is this is my wall. And I'm really, I'm really into it. And then he goes to the guy, just like he's knocking it out of the park. He goes, hey, what are you doing? He goes, I'm building a cathedral for the creator of the universe. It depends on how you see yourself. That's why I don't refer to the people across the street as Sunday school teachers. They're missionaries. They're missionaries. When you sit at a table for two, when you sit in a group, when you're serving, when you're up there right now on the tech, you are a stone layer sending a message to the world. This is important. And I'm doing something for the creator of this universe that really matters. Because I don't know about you, but when before I met Christ, Man, I tell you, I was ambitious for my own life, for my own career. 
And why is it then that if that was so important that I still felt empty? And why is it important? Why is it then that even the least thing that we serve Christ for, it matters because we're serving, we're building a cathedral. We're not just checking in and laying stone. Does that make, does that make sense? Super important. 1 Corinthians 12, we end with this. Now the body, the team, is not made up of one part, but many, many stone layers. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the team, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. So let me say something to you. I need you. I need you guys. I need you in my life. We need each other. We're building something here. From this corner to the corners of the world. Come on in. Same message as Nehemiah. Come on in. Let's rebuild together. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you, God, for calling us. It is remarkable. We talk about, we sing about amazing grace. So your grace is amazing, God, that allows us to come to you and, and to find you through Christ. But it's also amazing, God, that you use us one stone after the next and to build to build your kingdom and to, have to be part of that so we're grateful and um, thank you for this church 16 years of being a light not only on this corner but to the to the corners of the world father we pray for those that may need recalibrating right now maybe they've only thought of their own experience with you, their own walk with you, their own relationship with you and not thought about others. Maybe maybe they find themselves living more like a, a league body of Christ Christian rather than a local team Christian. Maybe Father, we're whatever we do, we've thought too small of it. We've thought, oh, it's just it's actually nothing, but Everything we do for you matters, God. And every team matter. Every team member matters, God. We're all, God, we're building, building, building together, side by side, shoulder to shoulder. If people know our name or they don't know our name. So thank you for that. Thank you for this church, God, for what you've done and or what you plan to do. We, Father, we pray for those that are looking for you, exploring you. You're, you're bringing light bulbs. You're turning light bulbs on in their inner self, making plans. And as we sang earlier, this says it so well, God. Jesus is truly the only Savior of the world. Thank you for making that choice clear. Thank you for making that choice simple. But God, it didn't come without great cost. Thank you for loving us so much. Not just loving us, so, but you loved us 
so much and you were broken so much that you gave your only boy. Thank you, God, for that. Now, as we're in prayer and you're and God is working like unexpectedly, perhaps, in your life, surprising you of how clear things become. That's God working in your life. Your interest in God is high. That's God working in your life. Your desire to want him in your life, that's God working in your life. Don't resist him if if God is pulling you, drawing you. In fact, if you feel God drawing you and you've never had this encounter, this intersection with him, where you say to him, God, I want you in my life, then let me let me give you God's path. It's not a religious path. It's not, it's not, it is, it is the path that God lays out. Listen carefully. It's simple. God loved you so much that because he was perfect, he understood that there was a gap between you and him because of his perfection and your imperfection. He couldn't just let it go because he's perfect in all things, including justice. So he put his son on a cross as the perfect lamb of God to satisfy the justice that was in his heart. But at the same time, to show you mercy. It was the perfect plan. Now what do we do? We come to him. We say, God, I'm not going to trust in my own behavior change. I'm not going to try to be good enough. I'm not going to try to be religious enough. I'm not going to try to be spiritual enough. And I'm not going to fake a move. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. That's your first step. If you don't think you need God, you're not ready for him. You need him. God, I'm broken and I need you so much. And I recognize that I'm a sinner and I can't help myself. And religion or no one else can help me. So right now, listen carefully. Right now, I'm putting my trust in Jesus. 100%. My faith and trust in Christ to be right before you. I want to be your child. Is that your prayer? I want the relationship, God. I want to be right with you, God. And I can't do it on my own. Is that your prayer? See, for you, this is a this is a, a new chapter, a new opportunity in your life to all the things I've talked about this morning, about having purpose in your life. Do you have that? Do you have spiritual purpose, eternal purpose? You see, without God in your life, you never can. Oh, come to him right now. Trust him. Trust in Jesus. Have, speak to God right now from your heart to his. God, I trust in Christ. Thank you, Father, for gathering us today, for drawing us here. I just pray you'll do a unique work in each of us and to, to bring us back again to wherever you want us to be. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. And special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, 
visit us at the360church.com. 